I'm Leah Carey, and this is Good Girls Talk About Sex. This is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. Before we get started, I want to tell you this. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with the things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Hello, friends. It's not season two yet, but today I have a special mini episode to share with you. Before we jump in, I have a couple of announcements. I am doing a giveaway. I'm going to send my favorite sex toy to a listener, possibly two if I get enough entries, and here's how you can participate. Go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review and rating of Good Girls Talk About Sex podcast. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to me at leah@goodgirlstalkaboutsex.com with the subject contest entry. In your email, let me know if you'd prefer a sex toy for a person with a vagina or a person with a penis. Yes, I have a favorite for each, and they are both boyfriend approved. If you've previously left a review, thank you. You're still eligible. Just send a screenshot of the review and I'll include you in the drawing. Want extra chances to win? Send me a screenshot of a social media post telling your friends why you love the Good Girls Talk About Sex podcast. You'll get up to three extra entries for a post each on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Send your screenshots by May 2nd, 2019. I will do the drawing on May 3rd and notify the winner or winners. Due to the complexity of laws about shipping sex toys internationally, unfortunately, this contest is only available to those with shipping addresses inside the United States and Canada. But I will send a special digital thank you to everyone from outside the U.S. and Canada who posts a review and sends me a screenshot by May 2nd. Also, generic reviews saying things like, great podcast, won't be eligible for the drawing. So once again, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review and rating, take a screenshot of your review, email it to me at leah at goodgirlstalkaboutsex.com with the subject contest entry, and if you want extra entries, Take screenshots of you telling your friends on social media why you love the show. Send it all to me by May 2nd, and I will choose the winner or winners on May 3rd. Also, I've recently debuted a new YouTube channel and will continue posting weekly videos there throughout the break between seasons. Recent videos have included why being naked is super healing for body image issues. Can I find love if I'm not thin and pretty? And can good girls go to a sex therapist? You can find all of those and more at youtube.com 
forward slash I am Leah Carey. And now, on to the reason that we're all here. Today's Good Girls Talk About Sex conversation. Rima Zeman released the book I Am Yours in February 2019. It's the story of reclaiming her voice after years of trauma and abuse, and you can find it at your local bookseller. I spoke with Rima ahead of the release of her book, but for technical reasons, we weren't able to release the full interview as part of the regular season. However, I've been able to pull together some portions of the interview to share with you today. Rima is a 35-year-old cisgender woman who describes herself as Bangladeshi, heterosexual, monogamous, and single. Because her father was a diplomat, Rima lived in many countries during her growing up years. She came to the United States by herself at age 18 with a dream of becoming an actress. We're jumping into the middle of the conversation, talking about how the relationships she had in her early life were emotionally healthy, but as she got older, she began gravitating to more abusive men. I'm so pleased to introduce Rima. The first few relationships were really healthy. They were very, it was about his pleasure as well as my pleasure, his voice and my voice, his interests, my interests, his goals, my goals. It was, it was an actual healthy relationship. It was as I grew older, starting in college, um, and then into my twenties, things became unhealthy and toxic. Um, and I, I started giving up my power, my giving up my voice, um, and replacing um, and allowing men to walk over me uh, to the point that, I mean, it all climaxed in an abusive marriage in my mid-20s. And it was after that marriage when I really started, or through that marriage, during that marriage, I started taking real stock of, okay, where did I, why did that happen? I used to be a confident young teenage girl. Where, what happened to me that I started swallowing my voice to the point of silence and self-deprecation, self-denial, self-harm. What happened to me to let me become this person who now lets, you know, who is married to an abusive man? Um, You know, I was sexually objectified at a very young age in through the the cultures I was being raised in, because so in any kind of conservative culture that looks at sex as though it's shameful and looks at women's bodies and anything to do with women's bodies as though it's shameful, everything from periods to desire, if you're raised in cultures that are saturated with shame toward women, that will have a lasting debilitating effect on girls and women. And that's what I started to realize. Um, because there was no there, sex and talking about desire, talking about crushes, um, being in conversations with people of the opposite sex, in Bangladeshi culture, that's all very, very, very taboo. Um, growing up, when I, whenever we would visit Bangladesh um, and we would have social gatherings amongst family and, dif- and different families or with my, my parents' friends, 
all the children, we were segregated. Boys in one room, girls in another room. Men in one room, women in another room. And so anytime you place any kind of separation, because, you know, to keep people from having unseemly sexual thoughts, it only heightens, it makes everything unhealthy and only heightens the very things we're not supposed to be thinking about. Not only was I being raised in these very conservative cultures that looked at sex and women's bodies as being so shameful, I also started, in, and then through through the the shaming of girls' bodies, um, it also creates a hyper objectification of girls' bodies, right? And an early objectification and any kind of objectification at whatever age is so unhealthy. Um, but I had been objectified from a very, very early age, the moment I hit puberty and I hit puberty at age 11. Um, and then on top of that, um, I had been preyed upon by sexual predators since I was age 11. And so all of that had a, you know, the ramifications of it where even if I wasn't, if I was consciously of card carrying feminist and I was a women's studies major in college, but my body and my, um, sexuality had, were, they were feeling the lasting and my psychology were feeling the lasting ramifications of unhealed trauma and, and unhealed toxic education. And so it all culminated in this really, really, uh, unhealthy, cruel relationship with my ex-husband, that, that relationship, the things that happened in that was so, so, um, unhideable. I could not rationalize his behavior after a certain point because it was so, even in my face, cruel that I had to take deep stock at what was going on, what had happened to lead me here. And, and therefore I'm so grateful that I had that uh, the relationship was a, a bottoming out, you know, it was rock bottom and it forced me to take stock of my life. For me to the other compounding effect was starting from age 15, my goal was always to be a professional actress. And so the more, and the deeper I got into my career, because that industry is all about objectification and unhealthy messaging about women and women's bodies. And there's all these punishing beauty standards, punishing behavior standards as well. Um, that had a compounding toll on, on the way I started, on the way I behaved with men, where I was settling for a voicelessness and a degradation that was being, you know, mirrored to me in so much, in so much of the media. Because you know, I had auditioned to become leading man's girlfriend for fifteen years, as though it was the highest, highest goal a woman can achieve is to check that off to be and to be the a very specific kind of woman, a woman who is punishingly thin, uh, docile, demure, um, always acquiescing to a man's superior authority, and and just giggling and tossing her head, and so. I almost became that woman. I caught myself before I was fully that person. I started gravitating toward boys who were unkind to me, which is not, I'm not alone in this. 
you know, so many of us, we start off as these confident young girls and then we start and we make healthy decisions and then the world gets its hands in us and we start making poor decisions when it comes particularly to our partners and who we're actually physically and sexually attracted to. And I started being physically and attracted, physically and sexually attracted to men who degraded me. And, um, and of course, in those same relationships, emotionally, I had no voice. Um, you know, it was always about his opinion over mine. My, my voice didn't have room to exist. I've had a few relationships with, uh, different men from different cultures. Um, but yeah, it was, you know, I grew up um, being told that Ken is Ken, the Ken doll is the ideal, and that and to be Barbie is the ideal. So for the longest time, I thought I was unattractive because I didn't appear, I didn't resemble Barbie, and I thought at the very least I could make sure to attract the Ken doll because then that would mean um, I had achieved some sort of worthiness in this world. And lo and behold, my ex-husband, he resembled a Kendall. Uh, and this isn't about white men. It's more about the kind of toxic partners I had. All of Because all of my, so many of my partners were these really, um, you know, were just misogynists. And part of misogyny is also racism. I think they're very tightly entwined because both misogyny and racism are about subservience and dominance and um toxic power and so most of so all of the misogynists i dated i was very much like part of their attraction to me was the exoticism of being with me and all of that and um and you know how how lucky i was to be with with uh someone of the superior human race and um my my ex-husband he as things grew more abusive, he started calling me wife for greensies, not for realsies, uh, because to remind me that, and he would hold it over my head on any, on any days that he was unhappy with me. And he would, that was his not so subtle way of reminding me that my green card had been procured through marriage, like many couples, you know, that happens and many healthy couples as well. And it was his not so subtle way to instigate fear in me that, and to remind me that were I to speak out against him, he could very well reject me and even get me deported. And that in our relationship, in his eyes, I, as his Bangladeshi immigrant wife to his white male superior privilege, I, according to him, was powerless, that I was tied and beholden to him. And so I better behave for the longest time. Good girl was always um, polite, demure, acquiescent, obedient, um, made sure to take care of everyone and everyone's um, comfort levels, uh, even to the cost of my own. And uh, now, I mean, good holds a much richer meaning, much richer definition um, I don't even really prescribe by good girl. And I, and I love the title of your podcast because there is like a tongue and cheekness of cheekiness to it, of course, because, um, it's almost, it's a paradoxical title, right? Because the, the, the good girl we have, we were spoon fed the, the definition of good, good girl, we were spoon fed. There was no space for sex. 
uh, no space for desire. And, um, and what I now conceive as the good woman or the good girl is intelligent, healthy, aligned, authentic, honest with herself as well as others, uh, courageous and brave in having the difficult conversations, even if those conversations were to make others uncomfortable. Thanks for joining me for this mini episode of Good Girls Talk About Sex. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex-positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>